Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. Every year about this time, I put together my words of the year. Oh, yes. So I've got a couple for you today. They kind of represent 2017, but I've done something different this year. I decided to ignore the political words. Thank you. Well, I feel like they're getting all the press and attention they need in other Mm. quarters. Mm -hmm. So I picked two out that I think still represent 2017, but they're not politically related. Great. The first of these, you probably remember... Path of Totality. Oh, my gosh. How could I forget? So not only does it sound like a Ursula Le Guin novel, something really exciting, but it also sounds mysterious, like celestial bodies are controlling you, right? Mm -hmm. Path of Totality. But what it means is the part of the Earth that was completely covered in shadow when the moon blocked the sun in August and we had this nice eclipse. Yeah. So the path of totality. Nice memory. Right? Yeah. It was a good time. People came together, all these science, everybody turned into a science nerd. We all showed up and and enjoyed this rare event together and learned a little about the, the solar system that we live in. The other one is stranger, a little more esoteric. It all stems from a tweet by a guy named Ben Ward. He's an Australian who has the handle pixelated boat. Now, in 2016, he tweeted, The whole internet loves milkshake duck, a lovely duck that drinks milkshakes. Five seconds later, we regret to inform you that the duck is racist. (laughs) So from that single tweet in 2016, milkshake duck became a thing. And what it means is it's when you learn of somebody and they're awesome and they're great and good and you love the things they do. But just a little bit later, you learn that there's something bad about them, mm-hmm. right? That there's there are allegations or untruths or sordid details. So besides perfectly representing so much of what happened in 2017, where these yep. people who we thought were good people, it turned out that they had these terrible histories that had been hidden from us. But it also kind of represents, Milkshake Duck represents the speed at which we now find things out. Yes. The speed of social media, the speed at which someone can rise and become a phenomenon but the speed at which they can also fall. Yeah, it gives you whiplash, doesn't it? Gives it gives you whiplash, yeah. yeah. So that's Milkshake Duck and Path of Totality. Those are my two words of the year for 2017. By the way, the guy who came up with the term Milkshake Duck, his name is Ben Ward. He has a cool comic at OneGiantHand.com. So what are the Velcro words and phrases in your life, the ones that you've come across this year and just can't seem to shake? Call us about them, 877-929-9673, or send us an email. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with the words. Hi, Grant. This is Nina from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We are naming a mascot for a local college, and I'm on a committee for this. And we start looking at the names that students have sent in. But the one that came up that was a little controversial because we couldn't decide if it could be used or not was the name Steel Knights. Of course, Pittsburgh Steel Knights mm-hmm. would be popular. S P E E L Knights. And so my immediate reaction was, yeah, but we have sports teams, and uh, they're they're male and female. And isn't that a gendered term? And there were actual people there who said, 
they didn't feel it was or that it wasn't really relevant in any way. And I was sort of surprised. Somebody actually said, could there be female night? Oh, yeah. Well, now, but n- I just wondered what I asked you. Well, Nina, when you're saying the word night, you're saying it spelled with a K, okay. right? Yes. So suits yes. of armor and the round table and swords and horses. Yeah. And, all right. Mm-hmm. And and uh, maybe the first mistake was naming a committee <laughs> to come up with this. <laughs> hey, you know what? That's a good, that's a very good call on your part. So the Steel Knights on first blush isn't bad, but your question is, uh, there was some debate over what part of it? Uh, the word knights. And mm-hmm. is that a gendered word? And can you name a mascot with a gender if you have females on some of your teams? Right. Mm-hmm. And what's your thought about the word knight specifically, Nina? I think that knights are male. Mm-hmm. Other people said, oh, no, knights could be women. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, Judy Dench is not Sir Judy Dench. <laughs> She's Dame Judy Dench. Right. Uh, so I'm, I'm confused. I, I, don't, I really don't even know how to make the call. Were there I any, think it's a gendered. But... Were there any women who argued that it wasn't gendered? Besides? No, just me. Okay. It was a mostly male group. Okay. Uh-huh. And deans and stuff. Okay. So do you think it's a gendered word, number one? And number two, is it okay to have a gendered word as K- a mascot? K-N-I-G-H-T, knight. I would gendered? say it is. I would say it's it's still one of those words where you would say female knight if you were going to say anything. To qualify it. Yeah. I mean... Like lady, the lady knights. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Lady knights. Um, yeah, I'm wondering, too, if, if this was a, a suggestion by students. I wonder if they're being exposed to uh, more female knights on programs like Game of Thrones. Brienne of like Tarth, that. right? Right. Uh-huh. That is exactly what someone talked about. I am in your camp, Nina. I I think it's got such a long history and and you know, if it doesn't matter if it's not gendered, then why not use the word dame? Why not be the fighting dames? Perfect, right? right? Yeah, oh yeah. And they'll never agree to that. Yeah. Or or here here's <laughs> another thought that sort of speaks to your second question. Could you mm-hmm. or should you have a gendered mascot? And my other suggestion would be call them the knights, but have every single image be a female Ooh, in armor. Like an, I can imagine Ooh. like Athena, right? Mm-hmm. Like a, yeah. That'd be amazing. I like that. Yeah. I like that idea. Yeah. I love that well, too. Well, and, and the truth of the matter is that was one of the front runners, but there's a whole bunch of other ones in there. Um so I don't know if that one's going to happen, but if it does, that is a great idea. Well, something hmm. you said a moment ago, it kind of gave me like uh, kind of a, a, a kind of a shiver of revulsion. And you said something <laughs> about the the lady knights, and I think that's what you're trying to <laughs> yeah. avoid. Mm. Yeah, even yeah. <laughs> even if we agreed that knights wasn't gendered and it could equally apply to women and men, you just know that there's going to be a, a newscaster or a sports writer or somebody in the administration mm-hmm. who's going to take up the habit of calling them the Lady Knights because that tends to be the default. I grew up in uh, the small towns in Missouri where I grew up. It was always, even though it was the Trojans, then you had the Lady Trojans. Right. So by default, they were male. <laughs> yeah. Or you had the Lady yeah. Tigers. By default, yeah. the tiger was male. I'm like, you just mm-hmm. know. So you're trying to avoid that too, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so I think we're with you. You have to let us know what the committee decides, okay? I am definitely going to let you know what happens. 
Um, but it's been a really interesting experience naming a mascot, let me tell I you. I bet. Never I bet. done it before. I vote for yeah. the camels. <laughs> but let us know how that goes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks, thank Nina. you. Take All care right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. But I would be very curious to know if younger listeners think that we're making a mistake, that we're looking too closely yeah, at that's a good the question. history. Right. It, do they think, Would you, if you saw Knight, would you just say, I want to know if that's a man or a woman, or would you just assume it was masculine? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What about folks who play lots of video games? It's you know, true, yeah. Female knights. Well, let us know. Call us, 877-929-9673, or send your thoughts in email to words at waywardradio.org. A century or so ago, when cities were getting built up, sometimes small streams would just be in the way, Mm -hmm. and civil engineers would find ways to either route the water into pipes Mm -hmm. or even pave over uh, a stream so that it's it's underground. Um, But there's been a movement in recent years to liberate those streams, to bring them back. Mm -hmm. And the term for that, I learned recently, is daylighting. Oh, daylighting. That That makes a lot of sense. Daylighting a river or daylighting a stream. They've done this in Yonkers, New York. They've also had spectacular results with one in Seoul, South Korea. Daylighting. That's cool. Share the words you've discovered in your reading, 877-929-9673, or tell us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, my name is Jack. I'm calling from San Diego. Hi, Jack. How you doing? Good. Great. We're glad to have you. What's going on? Well, um, I was just wondering where the term bullseye came from. Bullseye. And what's making you wonder about the term bullseye? Where have you heard it? Um, well, I've heard it in many movies, action movies. Mm -hmm. And I was just wondering, like, I was thinking about it. I thought maybe they shot bullseye. I wanted to learn more. Good attitude. Yes, we're really glad you called. And what would you think if I told you that it had to do with the fact that a bull's eye is round and so is a traditional target? Oh, really? Yeah. Really? Yeah, you know like the target symbol for like the the shop the department store target with the red and white circles? Yeah. 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 That's a bull's eye, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you think about it. Yeah, very abstract, round with a circle in the middle. Like when you're uh, shooting arrows in archery, right? You see that kind of target? Yeah, yeah. So did they shoot it? Um, how big did it get? Like a big enough so they can shoot it right in the pupil? Well, no, it's it's just something that looks like a bullseye. They didn't really uh, use it, an actual bullseye. No, as far as yeah. we know, they didn't shoot oh, bulls in the okay. eye. No, because bulls okay. are valuable animals. You wouldn't want to just practice shooting on an yeah. animal that was worth a lot, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, since the early 19th century, several different things that were round were sometimes compared to a bull's eye. Because if you think about it, I mean, what's the biggest animal that you see in this country? I mean... Besides elephants in the zoo, but naturally occurring animals. Yeah. 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 That's a bull. A bull is one of the bigger animals. And so the term bullseye was actually used to describe um, round windows. Mm, Oh, yeah. There's a French term for that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really? Yeah, and no. a kind of coin. But o- oie de boeuf. Right. And so the idea all along is pretty much what Grant was saying, that if you think about just drawing 
a bull's eye, it's going to look pretty much like the bull's eye on Target. Yeah, the actual animal eyeball. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you know, humans do that. We take things in the real world and we do similes and metaphors to say, that's a lot like that. I'm just going to go ahead and call it that name. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I didn't think to hear that answer. <laughs> oh, we're glad to help. <laughs> yeah, glad to delight you, little guy. Jack, Thanks. i got to tell you, you got energy and spirit, and I like it. Thank you. My heart is beating fast <laughs> right now. <laughs> hey, you're a superstar. You're doing great, all right? Yeah. And we're really happy you, you called us, all right? You call us again sometime, Jack? Yeah, definitely. All right. Okay, great. Cheers. All right. Good luck. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. 877-929-9673. I'm such a sucker for anagrams. Did you know that you can anagram the name Britney Spears to become the name of a certain religious group? You can? What is it? I don't know. Presbyterians. (laughs) Oh, interesting. Nice. (laughs) Britney Spears is just a mixed-up Presbyterian, I guess. (laughs) That's interesting. (laughs) Call us with your language questions, 877-929-9673. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And joining us on the line from New York City is our quiz guy, John Chinesky. Hi, John. Hey, John. Hey, Martha. Hi, Grant. Hi. This week I have an interesting little puzzle for you. i got to say, it's, I don't think it's very hard. I think it's really more of a celebration of how words are used, which we like to do. But it's still a little bit of a quiz. Okay. 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 When you've got to name something, anything, you want to make it memorable, of course. Well... I hope you've been paying attention to band names and short stories. As I read the following list, you must tell me if each item is either a band (laughs) or or the title of a famous short story. Oh, my. (laughs) Relatively famous short story. Now, by the way, every band on this list merits their own Wikipedia page and garners a substantial number of search engine hits. Now, I've also not chosen any bands that took their names from the titles of short stories because that would be cruel. Okay. Okay. All right, here we go. This is... Band or short story? Here's the first one. My Life with the Thrill Kill Cult. Band. (laughs) It sounds like a band. Yeah, I know that band. They they are an electronic industrial rock band from Chicago. They're really good. All right. How about Shadowy Men on a Shadowy Planet? Band. Story. Band. Do you know those? No, it's a band. It's a band? (laughs) Yes, they are. Okay. Do you know uh, anything about Shadowy Men on a Shadowy Planet? No, I don't, but I think there were a couple albums from other bands named after that band. It's five women. No. They are a Canadian instrumental rock band. They perform the theme to the uh, sketch comedy show The Kids in the Hall. Oh, that's probably how Ah, I know them. You've probably seen those words on your TV screen, yeah. Okay. How about The Number 12 Looks Like You? Short story. Short story. No, that's a hardcore punk band from Bergen County, New Jersey. What? Yeah, yeah. The number 12 <laughs> looks like you. They, they took their name from an episode of The Twilight Zone, which you might remember. Yeah. Okay. No. Okay, let's try okay. Hills Like White Elephants. Mm. I think that's a short story as no, well. I'm going with a short story. Is that a it Hemingway is, story or something? It is a short story by Ernest Hemingway. Yes, good knowing. Yeah. Good How knowing. about... When people were shorter and lived near the water. <laughs> That's a short story. I'm going with this story. 
They are an experimental psychedelic band from New York City. No, they're not. <laughs> yes, oh my they gosh. are. When people were shorter and lived near the water? Exactly right. How about Young Zaphod Plays It Safe? That's a short story, <laughs> Douglas Adams. It is a short story by Douglas Adams, yes. How about The Dinner is Ruined? Ooh, The Dinner is Ruined. I think that's a short story. I think uh, I read it in The New Yorker. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised really? something like it that. It sounds like a New Yorker short story, but I'm going with a band. It's a Canadian indie blues nice. rock band. Yes, the, the dinner, dinner is ruined. Isn't there a story about somebody who brought the wrong wine and the whole evening went to heck because of... I think there are a lot of oh, stories sure. like that in The New Yorker. Right. How about the diamond as big as the Ritz? Story. Yeah, I guess that's a story. F. Scott Fitzgerald, maybe? It is an F. Scott Fitzgerald story. Well Good. Yes. How about this one? The plot to blow up the Eiffel Tower. Experimental band. French bands from yeah. Algeria. I don't know. <laughs> they are a four-piece punk noise band from San Diego. Oh, what? Really? I've never yes. heard of them. Well, get out there. Look for flyers and get uh, out there. All right, there next time they play the Casbah, I'll go okay. see them. The plot to blow up the Eiffel Tower. Just okay. the band name, not a plan. <laughs> That's right. John, thank you. That was a that very was different kind of quiz than usual. I, yeah, I, sure. I look forward to more like that. Well, thanks for playing, guys. Bye, you were John. Great. Yeah, thanks, John. Give our best to your family. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. All right. We put this out all the time. We say, you've got a quiz for us. You've got a puzzle. There's a thing that you want to stump us with. Now's your time. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. See if you can stump us. Talk to us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hello. You have a way with words. Hi. This is Katya. I'm calling from San Diego. Welcome. What's going on, Katya? What can we do for you? My question is about a word that my father used to use. Um, he is, or was, rather, one of the most intelligent people I ever knew, and he would always uh, help me with my uh, my essays, and we would spend hours arguing over commas and words and one of the things he used to say was that words are not fungible, and we'd get into a discussion about, um, you know, which words to use in an essay. And that, that word fungible um, has always kind of confused me, um, and I spent many, many years trying to prove to him that there are certain words that are fungible, and I could never find, um, find a pair. So I'm calling uh, to ask you guys, what do you think about if words are fungible? I know that fungible means, like, interchangeable, as far as I, I know. Mm-hmm. And is that really true, that words are not fungible? Fungible, F-U-N-G-I-B-L-E, fungible, right? Right. Yeah, from the Latin for to perform or enjoy. Yeah, so, so mm. or to be in to place function. of something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, function. Yeah, it's related to function, yeah. Yeah, so are words fungible? Are there shades of... Can, can they be repl- Can words be perfect synonyms, in other words? Exactly. And then that kind of leads to the question, you know, what is a synonym? Does that exist? Are words equal, or are they just similar? My dad's perspective was that words can be similar, but they, they're never exactly the same, that they have a different feeling to it. And I always thought that was really interesting. Um, words seem very kind of logical, uh, left brain. But he says that, you know, each word has its own 
feeling in the body and, and emotion, and so that's what makes them different. This is the way that linguists think, exactly like your father. Most linguists today generally agree that there's no such thing as a perfect synonym, and that word perfect is important. Mm. And I know before all the armchair linguists start hammering their queries into Google, we're talking about <laughs> synonymy that is overall for most people most of the time. Because we can always come up with these two-word pairs that work in a single sentence. But what you need those two words to do is work in all sentences and all situations and in all contexts and, and other things. So what a linguist will look at is implicit meaning versus explicit meaning. So the explicit meaning, of say, is what you see in the dictionary, the definition. The implicit meaning mm -hmm. is the meaning that it gets. And this is what touches what your father was saying by the company that it keeps, how it appears in a sentence, its colligations and collocations, the, the other words that it travels with and the circumstances in which it appears. For example, we might be able to say that but and derriere are synonyms, B-U-T-T -T and derriere. <laughs> But they have a different feel to them. Derriere is a little less crass, right? It's something you might say in a little more refined situation. It might even be a little more joking where but is a little more childish, a little more crass. And these contexts, these, these pragmatics, um, aren't necessarily indicated in a dictionary. Dictionaries usually don't tell you those kinds of things. You just pick them up as a native speaker. So those characteristics are what make but and derriere synonyms, but not perfect synonyms. Wow. You know, I've been on a, a, a journey trying to find these two words for, for years, words that are fungible. And I'd always come to him with a pair and he would um, explain it kind of like you just did. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like my, my search is futile, that words truly are not fungible in terms of being perfectly interchangeable. That is the overall consensus among linguists today. When I was part of an editorial team putting together the first writer's thesaurus for Oxford University Press, one of the things we came up with were word spectrums where we took a bunch of related words, say words meaning pretty or beautiful or words meaning ugly or words meaning derriere, and we put them on a spectrum from left to right, say what is the... The spectrum on the left might be uh, most useful to least useful or um, most crass to least crass or um, most refined to least refined or some spectrum of that sort or uh, most common to least common. And anyway, that you in that way, you can compare a whole group of words instead of just two and maybe start to see as you're moving things back and forth along this continuum, the gradations of, of meaning, of sentiment in each of these words are really kind of astonishing that you know this, and yet if you were pressed to put it in print, you would have a really difficult time. Yeah, wow. Yeah, thank you so much. I love that idea of the spectrum. Thanks, Katya. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Call us with your language questions, 877-929-9673, or send them an email to words at waywardradio.org. We have a very active Facebook group, and you can find us on Twitter at Wayward. from Larry Mobby in Sutton's Bay, Michigan, and he's a winemaker there. And he says that in his work, the letters MT 
are an abbreviation to mark a tank or barrel that is empty. Mm-hmm. He says this is quick to write, easy to read, and conveys the meaning. Pronouncing the letters MT sounds out the word being abbreviated. Is there a term for such abbreviations, and are there others? So MT standing for E-M-P-T-Y. Yes. Empty. Isn't oh, that cool? That is cool. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. I would love to see a picture and of that. And do you that. have an answer? Is there a term? Well, there is a term for these things. They're called grammograms. Ooh. You know, like like XS, mm-hmm. it spells out XS. Sure. Um, but I'm not sure what other um, professions might use an initial like that. Uh, Is it a, a standard gramogram. throughout the industry or just at his vineyard and uh, winery? That's a great question. I hmm. don't know, but I can see I can see why you would do that. I mean, you save writing to a couple right? letters, right? Right. You're busy. You're a busy person. You've got yeah. a ton of work to do. Yeah. The only other thing that I could think of that might be used in um, in a profession is maybe FX mm-hmm. for effects, that's like right. sound I, effects. I've actually seen that. Have in, you? Yeah. Have you? Mm-hmm. But I, I'm wondering if there are other professions out there that use grammograms that we haven't thought about. Oh, that's good. So two letters that kind of sound or two, or a few or more. Yeah, yeah, a few letters that sound like a much longer word, but mm-hmm. they're not actually an abbreviation, mm-hmm. really. Yeah, like the letters MT. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. Give us a call. Let us know. 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hey, this is Jonah calling from Grand Forks, North Dakota. Hi, Jonah. Welcome to the show. Hey, Jonah. So I'm originally from North Carolina, and my wife is from North Dakota, so we have a little bit different words that we use in our vocabulary. Mm -hmm. So what happened was I was in an antique store with her a while back, and there was an old-fashioned washing machine, and it looks like an upside-down cone on a little three- or four-foot broomstick. And what you do is you run it up and down in a wash tub, and it had little holes that act as jets to wash the clothes. And I was telling, I was describing this action to her as you would just souge it up and down to get the clothes clean. And she looked at me like I was crazy and said, that's not a word. <laughs> so I, of course, I went to Google right off the bat to try and uh, improve myself right. But I couldn't find anything. I tried several different, several different spellings um, and had no luck. So I was wondering if you guys could help me out. So I imagine a stick with a cone on the end. You've got a tub full of water and clothes and laundry soap. And you're just like, it's like churning butter, only you're washing clothes. Exactly. Okay, and you're souging it. S O U G up and down. S O U G I N G. I would do S O W G E okay. or J E. Okay. S O W Souging. Okay. Souging. Well, you're not crazy. We can tell you you're not crazy. Not about okay. this. Yeah. So souge is a word that you hear in the South. Mm-hmm. Uh, you more commonly hear the word souse. And it means exactly what you're talking about, to immerse something in water, to plunge something in water mm-hmm. or another kind of liquid abruptly. And uh, usually it's soused. Sometimes you you talk about somebody being soused, meaning they drank a whole lot. Because they're soaked in liquid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It apparently, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. It apparently goes back to an old uh, French word that means pickle, like the kind of brine that you put in things into pickle. Oh, I see. So the old French, uh, you pickle something by soaking it in a particular liquid. Yeah, yeah, you dump it in that Um, liquid. Being soused or to be a souse means you're soaked in alcohol, which is a kind of liquid. And then souging something is washing something in a lot of liquid. You're drenching it. Yeah. People refer jokingly to baptism that way. Oh, souging someone? (laughs) Yeah, you souge the convert. Yeah. All right, so it does have to do with water. Yeah. Yeah, or some kind of liquid. Yeah. Yeah, but or or washing, because you know, in the yeah. Navy, there's a. It's not as widely used as some terms, but in the Navy, they talk about souging something, meaning to clean it. You might be assigned souging duties, which oh, means really? you've got to really thoroughly, oh. you know, do a place up so that the, it passes inspection. Souging. Okay, and so we're spelling that S O U G E. 
Or S-O-U-G-E. Yeah, I would say the verb is, right? S-O-U-G-E. And then, um, but your spelling um, is probably just fine, Jonah, because it seems to be mostly orally transmitted, which means the spelling's really loose. Yeah. Yeah. So the more common one is souse, but but you're perfectly within your rights to say souge. Yeah. So souge and souge with a j and souse. So they're all kind of on a spectrum of pronunciations that last continent. Does it have any ties to motion? Because I was talking to my dad and, and he was saying my granddad would talk about, uh, for example, working on a carburetor and he needed you to, to hit the throttle, open it up fast. He would say souse down on it. Yeah. So I could see, you know, sort of pouring on the gas or, yeah, yeah. I could see that. You're being, flooding yeah, it. You're literally soaking there. it in liquid, but it's there gasoline. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. How about that? All right. Thank you so much. Our pleasure. Call us again sometime, Jonah. All right. Thanks. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. I was caught off guard the other day when I was pumping gas, and the gas pump said to me, your word of the day. Oh, yeah. I had the same thing. Have you had this experience? (laughs) I had this, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I was was shocked. I thought, how do they know I'm here? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it was just you and I. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's nobody what it was. else gets that. Maybe the people who like follow sports think? get sports scores. I mean, and what was really crazy is that the word was serendipity. Oh, I saw the same thing. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say, you know, the word was serendipity, and it did not have the etymology, which I was not happy about. And that's about. the I best heard. story there, the serendip island, right? Right, right. It was it was a word coined by Horace Walpole. In one of his books. The writer, right. It was based on the three princes of serendip, serendip being an old word for Sri Lanka. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and, and these uh, princes were always making discoveries, and that's where we get the word serendipity. So they could have added that. Right. I mean, I would have, I would have filled I had enough the tank. time for that. If, yeah, <laughs> exactly. 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is David from Wyoming. Hi, David from Wyoming. Welcome to the show. How can we help? I was wondering about brand spanking new. What is new in your life that made you think of that? Nothing. <laughs> I was just wondering because <laughs> I'd heard it before. <laughs> All right. Any theories about brand spanking new? Because I know there's one thing that people think of when they think about something that's new and involves spanking. Yeah, I think of a baby. Yeah, mm-hmm. most of us do. We think of that, like the Warner Brothers cartoons with the baby being born and getting smacked on the bum, right, and squalling. It's not related right. to the origin of brand spanking new, though, interestingly enough. It turns out that spanking used as an adjective to mean good or great or big or fine or amazing goes back to the late 1600s and probably has nothing to do with spanking, like smacking on the bottom at all. It probably is related to a similar words in Danish, spanka, which means to strut, S-P-A-N-K-E, which is cool. Um, But we find over the history of the word, it went from meaning very good or big or fine just to being used as an emphasizer throw it in front of a another adjective and it will just make it more of itself so brand spanking new means very new or spanking new or spanking big i've seen as well means very big huh so spanking in that sense originally meant to strut uh possible it's related to a danish word to strut so it's that's got that's a cognate on the side but not necessarily the origin of it it is basically origin unknown but we do find it as early as 1600 spanking meaning uh, very fine, good, big, or great. Not what I thought it was. Yeah, you know, me neither. I can't believe that I didn't already know this before I, I dug into the term. Because we have all these other terms that you may know where we used to emphasize or 
to stress or yeah that had to do with striking like yeah. like larapin yeah. have you heard that yeah, one that's, being there in Wyoming that's a larapin good pie yeah comes from nope. a, yeah what about, it comes from a Dutch word that means to beat or strike what about we had a thumping good time I've heard that yeah, yeah. or um, not used very often or just well, striking yeah or striking or whopping mm, um, there's mm-hmm. a few whacking. We have all these terms that mm-hmm. seem to be related to hitting something, but they're actually just used to emphasize. How about that, David? Cool. That answers my question. All yes. right. That's what we're after. Thanks for calling. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, what word has caught your ear lately? We'd love to hear about it. 877-929-9673 or send your questions and stories about language to words at waywardradio.org. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Grant, you remember the call we had from Nina and her fifth grade class in Connecticut. They were looking for a word that means both nervous and excited. Oh, yeah, sure. The reason I know that is because of all the emails we got. We got so (laughs) many emails. And phone calls. Yes. Yes, Nina was looking for a word that means both nervous Mm -hmm. and excited. For example, she was nervous uh, about talking with us, but she was also excited. Right. And a lot of people wrote us to suggest what about a flutter Ooh, or a nice. Twitter? Oh, nice. Right? A flutter. I Those love it. Those are good. Yeah. But I was amazed at the number of suggestions we got that were portmanteaus, pushing together a couple of different words. We heard from Bob Zena in Louisville, Kentucky, who suggested antrepidation, like anticipation and trepidation okay, together. Good. Antrepidation. I like that. We also heard from the principal of Earl Wooster High School in Reno, Nevada. Mm-hmm. Go Colts. Uh, her name is <laughs> Leah, and she suggested the word apprehensive. Apprehensive. I like that mm, one. That's really good, mm-hmm. too, right? And we also heard from Petra Byrami, who is here in San Diego, and she wrote... A few years ago, when my son Ryan was five years old and had just started kindergarten, his class was going to perform for the first time in front of all the parents, and they were going to recite a poem. My son took me aside and said, Mommy, I am very nervous-sighted. Nervous-sighted. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah, and Petra says, I'd never heard that word, so I asked him what he meant, and he explained to me he meant nervous and excited at the same time. Since we speak only Farsi at home, I was pretty sure he'd learned that word at school. What do you think? That's a good one. Nervous sighted. And we had a ton of these. I don't know which one is going to catch on, if any of them, but I plan to come back from the dead in about 100 years <laughs> and look into it. You're making me nervous sighted right now. <laughs> We're going to find out. We'll know. The language will know. <laughs> Well, call us with your stories about language, 877-929-9673, and we always welcome email. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, uh, my name is Luis Hernandez, and I'm calling from Corpus Christi, Texas. Welcome to the show, Luis. How can we help? Um, my name is, of course, Luis, um, but uh, they, always call, they always call me Luis, Lu, like not my name. Or when they're spelling it, it, it always they're always spelling it like L U Y S L O U I. Sometimes they do like the Lewis and Clark one, like L E W I S. And I'm not sure if I'm always supposed to correct them, but it's my name. I don't know if the etiquette 
to do is, you know, actually correct them or not. So your name is Luis, L-U-I-S. The, yes, the, Luis. The Spanish pronunciation uh, and the Spanish yeah, spelling. Yeah, like, you see, like, in that case, um, you being a speaker, English speaker, mm-hmm. it'll be Luis. There's an emphasis on the U, mm-hmm. and Spanish is just Luis. Luis. Mm-hmm. Luis, like, very good. Mm-hmm. And uh, you mentioned your last name. Are you pronouncing that with an H or not? Uh, Hernandez. Hernandez. You really don't sound the H. Uh-huh. But you, you anglicized the pronunciation when you told us a few minutes ago, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's how a lot of people can naturally like, oh, okay, that's how that name is said. Uh-huh. Luis, I got to tell you, the thing that you have owned the longest, besides your own body, is your name. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah. boy, I'm going to get some email for this. I think if you were in the right situation, maybe not a boss or a police officer or a judge or anybody like that, but in other situations, I would correct them. I really would. Find a firm line, a brief way to say it that you can practice in advance and say, it's Luis, please, or I prefer Luis. Yeah, or call me Luis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, call me Luis. And yeah, call me Luis. That's kinder. That's a gentler way to do it. And just get that down so it's reflexive. I've known people in your circumstance and actually knew a guy when he started his job he was introduced to the staff as Lewis, and then he had to spend mm-hmm. like months correcting everyone to tell them it was Luis. And so he was exactly had exactly the same first name as you, and it was it was difficult. And he was he was just so aggravated that the boss like said his name wrong on that very first day in front of the staff. Do you know why they always do Lewis? I mean, there's for me when I hear Lewis, I'm like, there's no O in my name. Do you know? Or do you know where they kind of get the O from sometimes? Now, are they reading your name on paper? Let's say you're calling the bank for help or something like that, and so they're not hearing you say it at first? Okay, when they're reading it, they say Lewis. And I'm like, well, where, do you get, where do you see the O when you're reading my name? <laughs> I've done research on my name many times. I just curiosity. And apparently my name comes from like a Germanic Anglo name. Mm-hmm. How you want to pronounce it? That is how it's pronounced. The history of your name isn't what matters. It's what you, as the person that name belongs to, you control its pronunciation. And you, I don't want to say being a jerk about it, but you can be firm about it. I think Martha's idea of saying, saying, um, please call me Luis, I think when mm-hmm. somebody mispronounces it, I think that's a really nice way to correct them. Yeah, or just shrug and say, it's Luis. I mean, personally, yeah. I would want to call the person what that person wants to be called. Yeah. I, I I have to question people's motivations if they keep uh, right. keep calling if you Luis. If they Lewis. can't make some minimal effort after you correct them, then it's on them and um, they're just difficult to deal with. Some people some people don't try very hard, Yeah, do don't they? you think it's a matter mm-hmm. of respect? Yeah. Generally, I think Martha and I are agreeing with you that people should try hard to pronounce your name. It's not that hard. I will say mm-hmm. one tiny thing that kind of defends the people who mispronounce it at first, not the ones who continue to mispronounce even after you correct them. When mm-hmm. I watch British television and they're pronouncing Spanish names, place names, people names, they don't have the same culture of like Spanish being taught in the schools consistently as we hear, do here in the United States. They don't have like whole huge states like Texas and California and Florida that have and New York that have giant Spanish speaking populations. So you're you encounter Spanish on the radio and newspapers and street signs and so forth. So they mispronounce Spanish names all the time and it aggravates me. But I kind of get that. If you weren't exposed in any real meaningful way to the proper way to pronounce those vowels, 
I could see how you might say, yeah, it looks like Lewis. I guess I'm going to say Lewis because it's close yeah, to Lewis. So, but again, once you correct them or once you gently say, oh, I, I prefer Luis, Luis, um, then they've, they've got to do their best to go along and, and get that right. Yeah, or ask if you don't know how yeah. to pronounce a name that, that you're looking at. So we're with you. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Take care. And have a great day. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Names are difficult. We know you've got a name thing happening in your life. They got it wrong. They got it right. You can't think of one. Call us. We'll help out. 877-929-9673. Email us, words at waywardradio.org, and talk to us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. You know, now that I think about it, another term that burst onto the scene this year is the term fidget spinner. I sure hadn't heard that before last year. Yeah, fidget spinner. One day my son came home from fourth grade and he was talking about wanting a fidget spinner. I'm like, excuse me? (laughs) What is is that? And then they were everywhere and now they seem to be declining. Yes. Like the fad may have passed? Well, except with cats. I've found that they are are very effective for cats who are bored. It grew so big so fast that you could find Kia at malls that sold only fidget spinners. Mm-hmm. And you could go to like these woodworking shops, say in like old town, you know, the downtown that's kind of been made to look like the old West era. And they'll have wooden versions of these that don't actually <laughs> spin, but they're the right shape, which is interesting. Oh, interesting. Is it still yeah. a fidget spinner if it doesn't spin? I, know, I thought, thought it had to have a little ball bearing and yeah, you just right? put it on your the finger good ones. and spun yeah. it to give yourself something to do with your hands. Fidget right? spinner, definitely a term of the year for sure. 877 929 Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, this is Pat Green. I'm calling from San Diego. And my question is, do you all have any resources or recommendations for dictionaries or something like that, encyclopedias even, uh, for sports? Sports. I am one of the volunteer readers for uh, KPBS's radio reading service. Oh, it's you. a service. We read the uh, paper uh, to blind and visually impaired listeners. And the section of the paper I have the most difficulty with is the sports section because I am just not a avid sports page reader, so I thought I'd call and ask. And, Pat, I'm curious about the challenge that you face. You're trying to read a story about a game that's occurred and you're having trouble knowing what to accent or emphasize or what? Yeah, sort of. Um, I, uh, that we have a group of volunteers who read both uh, papers, the L.A. Times and the San Diego Union-Tribune, daily. And each paper has about a two-hour time slot on the program to be read, and we do our best to read all the major sections of the paper. Mm -hmm. There are two of us who read each time, and I find the sports section for me just hard to to make it sound like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, interesting. Are, are there sports that pose a particular challenge, like baseball? Or, or is it cricket? Are you, yeah. re- are you reading the bridge, the bridge column? <laughs> well, what, what does? Of course, sports are seasonal, so that's one problem right there because mm-hmm. you don't have year-round access. Right. You know, and I know 
like the World Series and the major sporting mm-hmm. events, and especially when they happen here in San Diego. But many of the columnists also include uh, statistics about the uh, athletes who are in the particular sport. You know, sometimes there's even a little gossip about some of the wow. athletes. And, mm. But anyway, it's the statistics and just terminology. You know, I know what a, a home run is. I know what a touchdown is, those kinds mm-hmm. of things. But Well, certainly for baseball, you want Paul Dixon's baseball dictionary. That's right. Oh. D- Dixon's baseball dictionary is the top, and it's huge it's and wonderful. Fantastic. And it's loaded with, like, just everyday slang terms, but also, like, rare slang terms. And it touches on what's known as sabermetrics, which is this uh, complicated way of looking at all the different statistics in baseball to truly measure a player's performance, uh-huh. S-A-B-R, uh, I think it's E-M-E-T-R-I-C-S, sabermetrics. But overall, for other sports, there's two books that I would recommend that might help you get there. One of them is The Dictionary of Sports and Games Terminology. It's by Adrian Room. It's published in 2010. You can find that on Amazon and probably in some bookstores. So that's the Dictionary of Sports and Games Terminology. And the other one is Dictionary of Sports Studies by Oxford University Press, also 2010. That one's more about the science and big picture of games and or sporting games. Um, so it's less about the, the mundane details and mundane items. But it might, see, it might be things like this is how cricket is played or, you know, this is what curling is or this is what uh-huh. Gaelic football is, that sort of thing. Yeah. Oh, which great. Could, which, okay. can, which could also help. But the other thing is don't discount your general unabridged dictionary, like Merriam-Webster's unabridged, is going to have a huge number of sporting terms in it. Okay, but you need to have each particular, you know, and often when I'm reading, I'll come across a term that I don't know the meaning of mm-hmm. without, because we don't have terribly much time to um skim the articles ahead before we go on live on the radio. There's a site called One Look, Mm O-N-E-L-L-O-K, onelook.com, and it lets you search a bunch of dictionaries, including the Merriam-Webster Collegiate, the American Heritage Dictionary, um, a few others, and pretty much almost anything I've ever looked for that was even remotely mainstream, like even rare, you know, barely mainstream was in there. Like the truly rare stuff is not going to be in there, but you're not going to find much of that, I'm pretty sure. And the good thing is that you can use that really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what I'm looking for, something quick and easy to access. Well, Pat, thank you on behalf of all the people that you are helping by doing volunteering to be a reader for the reading service. Well, it's an honor for me to do that. I do that in memory of an aunt who had macular degeneration but didn't let it stop her one bit and managed to live till she was 96 alone. So Good for her oh, and yeah. for you. Thank you so Thank much, you. Pat. Really you're appreciate very welcome. it. Take care. You too. Bye, Bye, Pat. By the way, if you're a giant radio nerd like I am, then you probably already know what I'm about to tell you. But if you don't, this is news. You can listen to a ton of these radio reading services on apps like TuneIn, which consolidates mm-hmm. all these online signals, including reading services from Australia. So it's pretty cool to hear people reading the Australian newspapers in the Australian accent. Oh, that and is cool. I don't know a thing about cricket, but it's really delightful. <laughs> <laughs> Need a dictionary for that. 877 929 Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, this is Sonny Reagan. I'm calling from Enterprise, Alabama. How are you? Hey, doing well, Sonny. It's great to hear from you. What can we do for you? I live, obviously, in South Alabama, 
home of the bow weevil monument, the only monument to an insect. So we have an interesting culture. But mm-hmm. when I was growing up as a young child, I my grandfather uh, would have a saying. And when there would be, for example, a, a big thunderstorm that was approaching or some bad weather, he would say, it's going to come up a Joe Moore. And I have never heard that before. So he always referred to bad weather as a Joe Moore. And I didn't know who in the world Joe Moore was or if it was a reference to uh, some historical figure or, or if he just made it up. Oh, boy. <laughs> I, I have an answer for you if you're interested. Or we could just end it I, here. <laughs> I'm extremely interested. All right. I'm going to throw a bit of linguistic jargon at you on the way to explaining this, but we'll, we'll figure it all out, all right? Joe Moore is actually a term that's been recorded as if it were a person's name, J-O-E-M-O-O-R-E, Joe Moore. And what it turns out to be is the word mojo, M-O-J-O, transformed by a process known as metathesis, where the syllables get rearranged. And what you were hearing was, when he was talking about bad weather, he was talking about a spell, um, a bad weather being a, a spell of weather that was kind of like bad mojo coming down the line, right? Coming over the hills. And we have Joe Moore and Joe Mo, J-O-M-O, recorded in Georgia and Florida and North Carolina and a few other places in the South as a way of referring to mojo. Interesting, <laughs> That's right? Great. Yeah. So my grandfather had some mojo himself, I suppose. He did, he yeah. Did. So it's the word mojo... <laughs> kind of transformed by metathesis into Jomo and kind of misunderstood as Joe Moore. Well, I'm finally glad to have an answer to the question that I can share with my family. After all these years, we've been wondering what in the world a Joe Moore actually was. And yeah. now it's just Mojo. And it's I love that you've got a field report here for us from a part of the country where using the word Joe Moore in that way makes a lot of sense. It fits perfectly into what we already know about the term. Well, you've been most helpful, and I I love your show, and uh, I listen to it all the time, and I I really appreciate your answering the question. It was our pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for calling. Thank you, Sonny. You're welcome. Have a good day. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Call us with your language question, 877-929-9673, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Want more Away With Words? Listen to years of past episodes at waywardradio.org or find the show in any podcast app or on iTunes. Our toll-free line is always open, so leave us a message at 877-929-9673 and we'll take a listen. We'd love to get your messages at words at waywardradio.org or hit us up on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D and look for us on Facebook. This program would not be possible without you. Grant and I are out to change the way we listen and think about language, and you're making it happen. Thanks also to senior producer Stephanie Levine, director and editor Tim Felton, director Colin Tedeschi, and production assistant Emma Kelman in San Diego. In New York, we thank quiz guide John Chinesky and that master of keeping it real, Paul Ruist at Argo Studios. Away With Words is an independent production of Wayward, Inc. From the Recording Arts Center at Studio West in San Diego, I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. So long. Bye-bye.